0: So, let me just reiterate what Claire said. Uh, Well, you're all very welcome here, but if you're finding some benefit and some life from being here, please set your sights on people that you can invite. You can do the Mr. T thing and go, boom, knock them out and drag them in and then go wake up in the service. We're okay with that. But however you want to bring people along with you, please be reaching out and do that. Okay, so, are we ready? So, this morning we're continuing on. This is Message 2 in our series, The Light of Love. And as I said last week, it's been clear to us that the Holy Spirit wants us as a church to be able to practice what we preach. He wants us to love our neighbors, absolutely, but the love will be much less if we cannot accept the love that he has for each of us. So we have the light of love shining on us, we have the light of love then shining in us, that's our part where we've got to open ourselves up and go, okay, you can get into that room that I really don't want you to shine into, Uh, but... Everybody tells me you're good, so let me open up. So we have the light of love shining on us, then as we partner shining in us, and inevitably then it starts to shine through us and we become who we're created to be. So let me say it again. You are deeply, deeply, specifically and intimately known and loved by God, and Jesus Christ died for you to set you completely free. Could I potentially have an amen for that one? Amen. We're going to get there. We are going to get there. It was lovely watching Claire Flounder as she sang this morning. I just thought, I'm going to enjoy this minute. It's not just me. Although you, you kind of had the courage to go on for a few more bars. And I thought, you go, girl. <laughs> and at the end, I'm going to just listen to that. You know, the tumbleweed moment where it's a. <sighs> the girl goes, Is I singing that? No, it's just that we don't respond. So I feel you. Okay. Thank you for doing that. Um, okay. So we are forgiven for absolutely everything. Oh, yes, absolutely we are. First Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Mark and I were talking about this during the week, um, not that we always have these meditational profound conversations, but just happened to be that way this week, and he was saying about the different perspectives. So I want to make a point, which is that everything that God does can be seen from different angles. As in difficulty, uh, we can be saying my life has fallen apart, everything's gone pear-shaped. And what if actually that's part of the process by which God pieces our lives together? The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are person. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And if you're sitting there this morning and you think it's foolishness, foolishness all the very best. We want to be on the side of the cross where we're going, my goodness, what is it that he actually did? This week in small group, I think it was probably one of the most profound times we've had where we were talking about, thank you, so was, wasn't it? It was just, we were talking about the cross and as we unpacked what he actually did and what that actually means, there's part of you wants to go, hold on a second, what, 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 you, are you, what, you're saying, really, 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 I didn't know that. So much of this stuff has been hidden behind religious words that we've really become very familiar with. And if you think about it from the strategy of the enemy, do you remember uh, usual suspects? Kaiser Soze, what he did was he just made everybody believe that he wasn't real. So really, if we just inject you with a little inoculation about the cross, but actually it doesn't have that much of an impact, just part of the fabric and structure of your life, what the Holy Spirit is doing is lifting the truth of what actually happened on the cross out from under all of those veils. And uh, what I would say to you is expect this morning that uh, the Holy Spirit wants to uh, drive it in as to what he actually accomplished whenever Jesus died on the cross. So we've been disciplined and discipled in unbelief, but we need to be aware that God's going to hold us accountable for what we wouldn't believe. And truth be told, we have more faith in punishment than in forgiveness. Will the hammer of punishment fell once on Jesus Christ? so that it would never, ever have to fall on us. John one twenty nine. the next day John saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, look, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the whole world. He takes it away. The hammer of punishment fell once and it fell once on Jesus Christ. And we need to get over this fact that we don't deserve it. That is a non-statement. Well, you know, I, I don't deserve it. Get over that. Of course you don't. I'm in the same boat. We are all in the same boat. That's not even the issue. We've just to simply have to accept that he did it. John 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. The Greek word is tetelestai, which is to perform the last act which completes a process. It is done. First John four eighteen to 19, I intend to pummel you with verses today. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. The one who fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So let's repent. What does that mean? Simply turn away and believe the truth that we are perfectly loved. No, I said it last week and I'm going to say it again. Does that mean that it's all about me? Do we just want to go, I have my issues and I struggle with this and just it's all about me and oh, look at the mess of that. Oh, no, come on. Did I do that again? We're not saying at all that it is all about us. We're not supposed to navel gaze. We don't need to stare at our issues. We don't need to go after our healing. You might say that to be a bit strange. we, We do not need to make this all about us. But we are to stare at him. And our wholeness is not found in the pursuit of our wholeness, but in the pursuit of Jesus Christ. You know the 23rd Psalm? Sorry, my nose is running badly this morning. Psalm 23, verse 3. He restores my soul. The only way that the soul, the mind, will, and the emotions, that the body, all of us is going to be healed is as we go after Jesus Christ. We do not know how to accomplish or to bring about our own healing, but he does. So we need to stare at him and go after him. When we know that we're loved, we are free to make mistakes and we are free to be ourselves. We are no longer afraid of punishment, rejection, abandonment. They cannot coexist with God's perfect love, which is why perfect love drives them out. They are mutually exclusive. And the clicker of all of this is that we cannot give away what we do not have. We cannot do it. If I do not possess this, I cannot speak about it in a way that you're going to go, he knows what he's talking about. And I don't know about you, but I can spot it a mile off when somebody is saying something that they don't genuinely believe. And the surprising thing about all of this, that this is about us dying to ourselves, that ironically accepting his love, letting him love us, and letting the light of his love in us is a death to self. Because when we refuse to embrace his love for us, we make it all about ourselves because we're saying that we know better And I said last week, that ladies and gentlemen is pride. He said it's done, forever, gone. He doesn't remember it, he doesn't see our sin anymore. Jesus took it all, it's done. And when we refuse to forgive what God has forgiven, we are believing and declaring that the cross was not enough. The sacrifice that was made by Jesus Christ is enough. Was it enough for you? It was. You need to be able to answer that question. Romans 8, 33 to 35. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Jesus Christ who died, more than that, who was raised to life. Amen to that one. Is it the right hand of God and is also interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? And then down a couple of verses. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons... All of this stuff, we could probably roll this off our tongues, couldn't we? We're so darn familiar with it that we miss what he's actually saying. Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus took on the sin that you committed and it met its punishment in Jesus Christ. It was no longer you. He took it. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53 verse 5. Let me read this. This is a longer uh, uh, passage. super so bear with me. Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered and he sat down and he taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery and they put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, I'd love to be able to properly do their tone of voice. I bet you they thought we've got him. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against them. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and he said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned through the first stone. Genius. Then he stepped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, "Neither did I. Go and sin no more." So did the law of Moses not have to be satisfied? It's just Jesus thought, "Well, I'm God. I'm just going to sweep that away." No, it did. Jesus satisfied it. He was the only one who could have condemned her. He didn't walk away. He could have picked up a stone. And he knew what it was going to take for her to be able to live out what he was about to declare to her. He knew how much it was going to hurt him. I was thinking about this this morning. Do you want to talk about unforgiveness? For him to say to her, I don't condemn you. Now go and don't sin anymore. You realize what he was saying? He was saying, I know what I'm going to have to do to declare those words to be true. And yet he loved her. He was overcome with love by her, for her. He wasn't standing there going, for dear sake, woman, like really, do you have any concept as to what it's going to cost me to say to you that you're not condemned anymore? And said, whenever I see him, you know whenever you read this, sometimes you see it inside your head. When I see it, he looks at her and the only way that Jesus came and says, so where, where are the people to condemn you? Did any of them condemn? She goes, no, they didn't. And he goes, I'm not going to condemn you either. Now, stop doing the wrong stuff and live your life. What sort of love is this? Well, it's certainly not of this world. And how on earth did Jesus love like that? And we cannot use this excuse well, that was Jesus. Don't do that. We're supposed to be like him. He was able to do it on earth because his mind was in heaven and he knew the perfect love of the Father. And he knew that his father was good and was to be trusted. Now, here's the other thing. Had Jesus died at the point that he declared to the woman that she was no longer condemned? Well, in our timeline, he hadn't. This whole thing that he did was a uh, cracked the whole space time continuum and burst back into the very beginning and ripped right through until the very end. He did not condemn this woman, even though he hadn't died. But he was always going to die. He was never not going to die. Well, what about that bit when he was in the garden? Well, what about that bit when he was in the garden? Does that mean that he was never going to do it? Or was he just coming as a human being who was also God saying, I really wish there was another way. But I am yielded to you. I am always going to do what you have asked me to do and he said okay I'm going to drink this cup this is good news it really is good news we are so immune to this do you know the Lord do you know the gospel well what does that actually mean what does that actually mean what if it means that everything changes that Jesus fixed every little bit of it our God is so much better than we think he is let the Holy Spirit lift the truth of what Jesus did from behind the religious stuff that we've become so immune to. So when God looks at the sin you committed, he sees his son paying for it on the cross. You are a new creation, and the shame and the guilt that you feel is no longer yours. Second Corinthians five seventeen. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in is in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we must live like this because this is absolutely true. And we are transformed by the renewing of our minds, Romans 12.2. So we cannot become who we really are until we let go of the sin that we have done. Jesus took it all, and we have got to let him take it. We've got to let him take it. Live in the light of his love and lay your burdens down. Lay it down. Whatever that thing is that you think, no, I can't let that one go, lay it down. Tell him to prize it from your fingers. Whatever it takes, pray the dangerous prayer. Don't let me get away with not accepting what you did. And I guarantee you he will answer that. So because we're forgiven, let me read this to you. Luke seven thirty-six to 38. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who had lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. And let's go to uh, verse 47. Therefore, Jesus said to all of those who were present, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. So the depth to which you embrace God's forgiveness is revealed by the quality of the love that you give to others. Forgiveness is an act of love. And first John 4:19, "We love because he first loved us." So I want to read this to you. How many of you have heard of Cory Tenboom? Great name. I remember reading that as a child, thinking, it's this a cartoon character. It's just such a strange strange name. Um, but we want to I mean, this is a time of remembrance, isn't it? You know, all of our schools and a lot of the churches are observing the one-minute silence. It is good that we remember the price that was paid in the world wars, but it is of even more paramount importance that we remember the sacrifice that Jesus paid on the cross. So let me read this to you. This is Corrie Ten Boom's account. Um, she was a concentration camp survivor uh, in the war, and she's speaking on forgiveness. Now, this is quite lengthy, but uh, bear with me. So she said, it was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy set man in a grey overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had just spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth that they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far away from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we forget our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest, darkest ocean gone forever. The solemn faces stared at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence they collected their wraps, and silence they left the rim. And that's when I saw him working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat. The next, the blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camps where we were sent. Now he was in front of me. Hand thrust out. A fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had glibly so spoken of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among those thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop swimming from his belt. I was face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God is forgiving me for the cruel things I did there. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, again the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven and could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out. But to me it seemed ours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive yours. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were also able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And I stood still there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will. And the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother. I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. We love Because he first loved us. And you and I are new creations. The fullness of our forgiveness is found in our releasing forgiveness to others. It is in releasing them that we ultimately release ourselves. Forgiveness is designed to flow from him to dwell on us and clean us up. And then flow right out onto others. Unforgiveness stops the flow because, really, what we do is we step into pride. Now, pride is really declaring that we know better than he does, and we put the stopper up and the dam up, the dam, the dam, the dam. Don't have anything damned in your heart. Don't let condemn anything to hell in your heart. This forgiveness that we've experienced is meant to flow down and flow into others. Unforgiveness stops the flow because we believe we are right to condemn and prescribe punishment. But remember that the hammer fell once and it fell on Jesus Christ. It was finished by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And what Jesus did was enough. Could I get you guys to come up, Nathan? Unforgiveness shows that we have not really deeply understood what Jesus did for us. And the light of love and forgiveness shines on us, then in us, and it must shine through us to others. We must remember that we have been forgiven. Matthew six, fourteen and fifteen, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. When we forgive, we do not reduce or minimize what has been done to us. For some reason we tie in Releasing people and releasing forgiveness to people that somehow it means that what they did wasn't wrong. It is always wrong. What you did was wrong. Jesus took it. You are free. That is not who you are anymore. What was done to you was wrong. I find in lots of pastoral situations if I'm talking with people, I'll often apologize. I'm so sorry that that happened to you. And they normally go, well, why are you apologizing? Because I'm a vehicle of him. You need to know that God is so sorry that those things happened to you. It does not minimize the pain that you suffered because they happened. But what forgiveness does is it releases you. When Jesus forgave the woman caught in adultery, he knew the price that had to be paid. And we release ourselves from the ongoing effect of what was done to us we break the tie to the pain and we stop the cancer of offense. Forgiveness protects us from the strategy of the enemy. And you remember that your soul will always be able to reason why you shouldn't forgive. Well, I'm not going to do it because of that. And I'm not going to do that because they shouldn't get away with that. Well, we know that we are not supposed to live out of our soul. We know that we are supposed to, in our spirit, be connected to the Holy Spirit. And we live out of that place. Because forgiveness is not an emotion. It is not to do with the temperature of the heart. It is an act of the will. Let's get connected to Him. Can we stand together? I absolutely appreciate that you can look at me and say, You have not got a clue what was done to me. And you are absolutely right. But the one who calls you to forgive does know. So as always, we're going to call you up to receive ministry because there's been a message. We want to declare it and then we want to practice it. So I've got some questions as always to help you to respond. Do you need to accept forgiveness? As I'm speaking this morning, do you know that there are areas in your life that you would just say, well, I just can't forgive myself for that? that's you, then please respond. Do you want to live as a new creation? And finally, do you need to forgive what's been done to you? If you can answer yes to any of those questions or you just want to receive ministry, please come and join me now at the front. Holy Spirit we recognize you. We uh, thank you for the sunlight as a physical symbol of a spiritual reality that we stand physically and spiritually in the light of your love. We ask that this day that the light that shines on us, we would participate with you that it would shine in us and that that, that light then would shine out of us. Come Holy Spirit, Increase your presence among us we know that it takes you to worship you and we need to worship you so come lord